Well, you are welcome indeed. Good morning. How is everyone? Loving the cool fall-like day we've got today, I'm sure. <laughs> we were joking about that out front this morning. The last report I heard, unless it changed over the past couple of days, we have not had a day that the high temperature has been below 90 degrees since July 9th, the day before Riverbend. June 9th, rather. That is a long time in Chattanooga to have 90-degree weather. I appreciate, though, you guys getting out, braving the awful weather this morning to be with us. Love this video that we played. talks about no one has to walk alone. And I would, I would like to take that opportunity to tell you a little bit about our small groups. We'll be kicking off towards the end of this month and into the 1st of September. Various groups start at different times. But we've got lots of small groups for different tastes. We're even thinking about doing a, just a, a straight-up Bible study on Wednesday nights. So we've got several new groups starting, old groups returning. Our group, Chaos Management, will be, will be back on a weekly schedule starting, I believe it's August 17th. That's the week after school starts. So no Chaos Management group the next two weeks, okay? Next two Wednesdays we're going to take off, and then we're going to come back and be back on our weekly schedule. We figured that was just the, the simplest thing. Uh, matter of fact, there will be no small groups that meet the week of August 10th on that Wednesday night, I don't think. Uh, youth will be off that night. So everyone can prepare for what's the big day this school starts. How many moms are thrilled? Yes, there, there were immediate hands. Two hands. Yes, Leslie is screaming and shouting. She has the spirit this morning. The spirit of back to school. You know, it's, it's like, remember, I think it was either Staples or Office Depot, the the old commercial, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and they're all singing and everything as the kids go back to school. So, yeah, there's some moms that will in, indeed enjoy this time of year. And there's some kids that are rather sad. How many kids are excited to go back? Okay, great. Speaking of going back, it's time for Kidmo. So my Kidmo kids are dismissed. If you haven't left already, uh, for you that may be guests here, don't know what we do, Kidmo is our, our kids' environment for our second through fifth graders. And we have something that's age appropriate for them that they learn and have a good time, do some Bible study and things in there and a film. Kids really enjoy that. So if you're comfortable with letting your kids go over there and not sitting with you during the service, that's great. If you're uncomfortable with them being in there, we would rather them sit with you because if they're that much trouble, it'd be better if they just sit with mom and dad. <laughs> just kidding. They're all welcome. So some of you are thinking, oh gosh, he's going to bring my kids back in here. No, we're not going to do that to you. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're laughing. You know your kids, don't you? <laughs> but it is so good to have everybody here this morning. Anybody know what we're talking about today? Philippians, good. Somebody's paid attention or been here at least. We are talking about Philippians, and we've also been talking a little bit about Bible study, how to study your Bible, those type things. And, you know, Mark, well, Mark has taken all his Bibles back, it appears. He, he must have needed to study this week. But like Mark, I have my own, some of the ones I like. Anybody ever heard of the, and I would just say he's an old-fashioned preacher, J. Vernon McGee. Has anybody ever heard of him? Yeah, some of you have raised your hands. He was a he was really a southern pastor. I think he pastored in California of all places. And he is about the most countryfied, down to basics preacher you'll ever see. His favorite saying was, Well, that's where the rubber meets the road, brother. And that's what he would talk about in his book. And it's a really good study guide. If you like that kind of thing, I think it's a it's a five volume set. But he has some great insight into just 
everyday man scriptures and tells you what it says. And I, that's one of the ones that I really enjoy. And I think you can probably still find them used on Amazon and things. Or they're probably out of publication. Now, his big thing was he did them book by book. So you could go and either buy the, the five-volume set, or if there was a particular book you were studying, you could go and buy the paperback book just for that book of the Bible, which they probably still even have those at Lifeway. This is one of my most unique study guides. How many of you like science fiction? Any science? Yeah, got some science fiction fans here. Ever heard of Isaac Asimov? Famous science fiction writer? He has a guide to the Bible. Interestingly enough, and I don't think that Asimov is a believer, but he is a good writer, and he takes much of this from a historical perspective. He tells you the history behind the various books and what's going on and in the government structure and things like that. It's very interesting as far as culture and things go. So, you know, Asimov, I wouldn't recommend him necessarily for his theology, but for insights into culture and things, it's quite, quite good. One of the things I noticed studying this week, I actually read a little of that. In the church at Philippi and the things that were going on there, you've heard of people, elders in the church. What do you think of when we say elder? Somebody, oh gosh, don't point at, don't point at your mom. That's... <laughs> I'll get you in real trouble. But, but what we what do you think of that? older, gray beard, older people? An elder in the early church would have probably been around 40 years old because the life expectancy at that time was around 35. Think about that. 35 was the life expectancy. So that was one of the little nuggets I pulled out of there this week that I hadn't really thought about. But I think we, we want to talk about you know, how you study your Bible and the importance and, and that sort of thing. Mark, I think, has got a quick video we're going to watch a couple of minutes of to, to show you about the, the proper study Bible and such. We'll see if it works. Now, everybody needs one of those. You know, and, and obviously here we have a little spirit of competition at Journey Church. You know, Mark was trying to show you all his study Bibles and stuff. He does not have one of these babies. This is a King James Holy Bible with a hologram of the Last Supper on the front. Yeah. Uh, she's got to see other people. This, if you're going to go with a big Bible and want to impress, take this thing to work this week. Get you one of these. And at break time, you take that thing out and throw that out on your table. Wow, that'll make an impression. Everybody will know you're godly then, won't they? If only it was that simple. And I'm going to kill myself if I don't fix this. See if I can keep from knocking that over. But we're having a little heart, lighthearted thing about the Bible this morning because some people are being out of shape about which version you use and that sort of thing. You know, and there are some translations that are better than others, but we're going to talk a lot today about unity in the church. And that's one of the things we need to unify over is we love the Bible, not the version. And so we're going to talk a little bit about those things. But before we get started, let's just have a, a quick word of prayer and, and thank the Lord for this day and what he does for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, everyone that's here this morning, God. We thank you for 
Paul and things he's writing to us about in Philippians, that, Lord, not only was he writing in that current culture, he writes to us that today that we get to understand and see some things that he has written down those many years ago that still apply to us today, God, and we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your son and his sacrifices. Lord, we'll talk about that son this morning, and, Lord, we just... We just thank you for your ever-presence love, God, and thank you for journeying what it means to all of us. Lord, we just pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We've noticed something. Some of you folks have started bringing your Bible to church, which is a really odd thing, isn't it? Why would you bring... Seriously, we like seeing the study Bibles out have we got the lighting better for everyone this week, pretty much? I think we've got a few dark edges here that may be a little difficult, but we're, we're trying. We've been working on the lighting. I didn't want you guys to think that we had ignored your pleas for more light. We just had a couple of issues with the lighting that we had to take care of, and, and they took care of themselves. So I guess God wanted you to see your Bibles, too. <laughs> so glad that you're looking at those this morning. But in Philippians chapter 2, we're just going to go kind of verse by verse through this chapter and pick some things out. And let's start with the first four verses. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. That's enough to preach a whole sermon on right there. I promise you we're not going to stay long in any of these, these portions because we do want to cover this whole chapter today. But let's just pick out some things there. Are there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love? Well, I think those of us that have have begun to follow Christ can say, Yes, there is definitely comfort in that and comfort from his love. We, um, Richard talked about that some in his prayer this morning, that how these things do comfort us and how God's love is what makes all the things we do possible. And fellowshipping together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Is that something that Christians are known for, do you think? I think it goes both ways. I think there are things that people tend to think Christians are more compassionate than others, but we also have earned the label of being judgmental, haven't we? I think that's the thing we have to, we have to balance are the people that think that we are compassionate against those that think we are judgmental. Well, both those things are in the, in the, in the scriptures about when to judge and when not to and, and how to be compassionate. And the problem is when people look negatively on us, they automatically say we're not compassionate enough and we judge too much. That's just the way it is. You will hear things, I think one of the <coughs> excuse me, controversies recently was about churches that put up the big crosses you've seen on the sides of the freeway and stuff. And they criticized the churches and you should have spent that money to feed the poor. Well, that's making an assumption that that church isn't spending money to feed the poor. I happen to know that one of those churches where a friend of mine goes... They go on mission trips spreading the gospel throughout the entire world, setting up vacation Bible school type backyard Bible studies, going and helping pastors and, and showing them love all over the globe. Yet the only thing that the people criticized them saw was their lack of compassion. They were spending their money wrongly. So we have an image problem that we have to always consider that we need to, to work through and make sure that those things are, we're truly being compassionate. But here's what Paul says. He says, 
if you want to make me truly happy, agree wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. That's difficult. How many of you people think in this audience that you should be just like me? Oh, boy, that's rather disappointing. <laughs> I thought at least somebody. We're, Austin, you want to be like me. I know Austin. Yeah, Austin and Diesel, yeah. At least some of the younger people still have hope in our congregation to be like me. But seriously, we're not all alike. We have differences. We've illustrated that. Uh, one of the my favorite uh, in our Elephant in the Room series was the, the talk I did about politics. Because I could see even in our own audience, we have folks that don't agree. But you know what? We can agree to disagree about those things because they don't impact the kingdom. We need to be concerned about the kingdom of God and what he has us doing. Those are just periphery things that, you know, they may be somewhat important in your life and your lifestyle and those sort of things, but they don't matter to Jesus and his kingdom and what happens. And that's what Paul is talking about is having the right focus and being wholeheartedly agreeing with each other and loving each other and working together with one purpose. What do you think that purpose would be? Advance the kingdom, exactly. And what that means is showing the love of Christ to others, and through that love they may come to know Jesus himself and follow him. That's what it's all about. That is the entire purpose of Journey. There are lots of things we do here. We we often teach on, on topics that are very practical. It may be about your finances. It may be about your relationships. It may be about... Um, drug addiction and alcoholism. There's all kinds of practical things we teach on here, but we do that so that you will know that Jesus loves you. And once you know that love, we want you to follow him and advance the kingdom and share what Jesus is doing for you with others around you. And that doesn't mean that you have a, a designated night of the week that you have to go and knock on someone's door and say, you're going to hell. Did you know that? We found that that approach doesn't work very well with most folks. You know, they don't like to be insulted up front. But there are ways that we can show the love of Jesus. The next verse says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Whoa, don't try to impress others? That's a constant battle for most of us, is trying to keep up with others, to keep up our appearances. And, you know, what winds up happening, especially what happens when Christians try to impress each other? Oh, it's awful. We try and we try and outcrust each other. I'm seriously. I, I'm 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 more pious and holy than you are because of this. I go to small group or I read my devotional or I have you version on my phone and I look at it on my breaks. I'm holy. Who are you trying to impress? Are you doing this to learn about the kingdom and learn about the love of God and advance his kingdom? Are you doing it because somebody's told you to, that you should do it? Are you doing it because your spouse has said you need to do it? Are you doing it because you want to be a good example to your children? All those have some good in them, but the root of all this should be we're doing everything we do not to impress those around us, but to impress God. To let God know how much we love him and how much we're thankful for the things he's done to, for us. Next, it says, be humble, thinking of, those as, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. What does it mean to be humble? Anybody ever been humiliated? It's not the same as being humble. 
okay? Being humble means really just looking out for others, just like it says here, putting others' interest in front of your own, maybe sacrificing something that, that in your life you need to in order to serve someone else, to put that other person forward, to, to really care as much or more about their very life as you do your own. And that's hard to do. And that's one of the things that we as a church here at Journey like, like to try and do in our community. Uh, Kim mentioned um, some of the ministries we have, like Widow's Harvest Ministry and those things, uh, Room in the Inn is another one that Kathleen does. Those are putting someone else's interest in front of ours. Those are things where we can go and serve. We can do these things for people in our community, and we can do them out of humility and, and say, we're doing this because of what Christ does for us, and we want to serve you. And we want to look out for your interest and your needs and not just ours. That's a very countercultural statement, isn't it? You know, we must, we've got to look at others around us. Now, when we're looking in the church, when we're looking at society, and we're looking at serving others and loving them, do you find that everyone in your life that surrounds you is lovable equally? How many, how many of you think that all of your coworkers, you just are enamored at how wonderful they are and you love it. So you say, don't raise your hand because I read your Facebook posts. <laughs> I know it's tough. There are people that we like better than others. There are people that it's much easy to serve someone that's, that themselves has a humble spirit. But just think of this. We must love all believers equally, even if they're not equally lovable. And that is very hard to do. I will tell you, there are people that will mesh better with your personality. There are people that will mesh better with your politics, your views of the world, and everything else. And those people are easy to love. But those that are very much opposite of you, sometimes it's very difficult to love those people. And when you mix in that it's inside the church, it can be even tougher because we begin to put expectations on other believers. Well, if you believe this, you'll do that. You know, If you believe in Jesus, you need to do this. And we hear a lot of that. We've heard a lot of that, unfortunately, during this election cycle. If you believe in Jesus, you can't vote for this candidate, or you must vote for that candidate, or it's a sin if you don't vote, period. None of those things are in Scripture. That's where we're, we're trying to make those that aren't like us be like us. And then things that aren't aren't advancing the kingdom. So think about that and, and, and how you react with those that are, that are other believers but may not be like you, may not look like you, may not like, worship like we do. You know, there's, there's various differences there. But listen to this. Putting others first is a counterculture idea in American society today. But it is one of the things that should set Christians apart. We should serve others out of our love for God and not out of guilt. Anybody ever been guilted into serving anywhere? Yeah, that's a bad feeling. <laughs> that's a, it's a misuse of, of God's love. It's a misuse of what the Spirit tells us to do. But it's effective, isn't it? At work, you might be, well, if you want to do so-and-so, you need to do this, or you really should do that. You know, guilt is a strong motivator. Guilt is also something that can absolutely destroy our lives and put us into a place that we never do what God wants us to do. Those of us that may have a, a less than stellar past, done things that maybe we're not proud of in our lives, think what guilt does to you. Think what having those memories of things that you wished you hadn't done, things that you wished you had done better, things that you wished you had, had done for God instead of for yourself, you know, 
Guilt can be a really bad thing. And I have been in situations where I've seen pastors guilt the congregation into doing something. I never want to see any of us here, and we, we strive to never do this, to try and guilt you guys into serving. We want you know to serve because, you know, Christ was a humble servant. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And we want to be like him, but we want you to get the benefits of loving on others. That's the reason to serve. It's not because we think it's your duty to prepare a meal for room at the inn or go work at the, the widow's harvest ministry or to serve in youth or to, to serve in kids' ministries on Sundays or, the, or be in a small group. Those things we don't want to guilt you into doing because, well, the pastor says I should do it and I'll feel bad if I don't. We want you to feel good about doing it because it's something that's going to benefit you and benefit the kingdom. I'm going to keep saying that over and over today because that is what we're all about. So we need to think about that. But who's our example in doing these things? Jesus. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty straightforward. These next few verses are going to illustrate the example that Jesus has set for us. And I think that's a, a pretty good thing to strive for. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That is the name of Jesus Christ. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, that is some powerful stuff about who Jesus is in those verses. I mean, we, we have to look at what he actually did. You know, we've got to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He gave up his divine privileges. And I was reading something in one of my commentaries this week that, that I really had to think about. You know, if you... Have you ever heard of somebody taking a sabbatical from a job or something like that where you step down for a period of time and you go do things? Now, what would be your worry if you did that and your boss wasn't in full agreement with it? What would you think? You're going to get fired. You're going to get canned. You're going to come back and your position's not going to be there. You know, and I got to thinking about it. Sometimes I think we think that Jesus was like that, but it wasn't. It wasn't that he was leaving his position and feared that he wouldn't get it back and he was taking this risk to become, to empty his divinity out or, or however you want to say it and come and be a human being just like us. That position was never in doubt because that has been there for all eternity and will be there for all eternity. But he wanted to come and experience the things that we did and show us how to live as human beings. So he set aside, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Talk about humble and humility. That was the most degrading death sentence that could have been in the Roman Empire at that point in time. It was reserved for criminals. It was, it was seen as somewhat of a spectator sport, in all honesty. They wanted to go watch the person suffer and die because they were such a horrible criminal. And yet Jesus set aside his own divinity 
his own righteousness, all those things, and took our place and said, I'm going to do this for you. Each and every one of you in the audience, he did that for you. Not for me, but for you and me. And sometimes I think we lose sight of that, just what Jesus did and how he humbled himself and the humiliation he suffered and being crucified on the cross and the things that, that he had to set aside in order to do that and die a criminal's death. But yet he is elevated and honored by God to this day. I think it's an important thing for us to remember. We, we need to show some reverence there, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But out of humility, Jesus became a man, giving up his rights to his glory and power. We've covered that pretty much. And, but here's the latter part of this, this verse, and I think maybe you've heard this before. And every tongue declared that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is talking about future events. This is talking about that at some point in time when we all pass from this life and into eternity, we're going to meet Jesus face to face. That can ever either be a very wonderful experience or it can be a terrifying one depending on whether you've accepted Christ into your life or not. And what this is talking about is a final judgment where Jesus at some point in time, whether you believe him or not, whether you have followed him or not, you will recognize his authority over your life. And sometimes we don't realize, we don't recognize authority well. Some of us have problems with authority. Some of us don't respect authority. You know, it's a whole lot easier to respect the police officer after he's pulled you over and he's talking to you than it is when you just see him going down the road, isn't it? It's a lot easier to summon up a little bit of that respect and say, sir, especially if it may mean the difference between getting a ticket or not. Now, after he's given the ticket, the respect may go away because you haven't weaseled your way out of it. Where's, where's Kelly at? He's my expert on this. He's here. Yeah, 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 he's in the back. Kelly is my expert on this and how you deal with these relations if you need to know when to use authority. But that's kind of a little bit of a fake thing. But what I wanted to illustrate there is that feeling there is a power greater than us, and sometimes we have to submit to that power. And that's what every person will do at the end of their lives. And at the time of the final judgment, even those condemned to hell will recognize the authority of Jesus. This scripture does not mean that at the last minute, God's going to say, oh, you get a do-over. It's okay. You know, you recognize who Jesus is now. It's cool. You get to go to heaven and be, be with me for eternity. It's not the way it works, and we need to realize that. And that's part of advancing the kingdom is to tell others there is an alternative to going to heaven, and it's a very unpleasant one, and we need to be concerned about people and teach that and know that there is a literal place called hell. We don't talk about that a lot because it is unpleasant, but it is one of our motivations for advancing the kingdom is to tell people about that and have compassion on them so that they're not found in this predicament of recognizing Jesus' authority when it's too late. Now, what about showing reverence? You ever think about that? Well, I was talking about a little bit about respect. Let's look at these next few verses, verses 12 through 18. We'll see a couple of things in here. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. This is Paul talking about the church at Philippi. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. 
live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain, and that my work was not just useless, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful services and offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Reverence to God. Is that a popular thing in our society today? It's not very popular. Matter of fact, it's not even thought about. And if it is, it's thought about in a negative term of God as being some kind of cosmic bully that we're forced to serve. And that is not true. But we should show reverence and fear towards God, but we've become less afraid of offending God because we view God through the lens of his fallible followers. We believe that if God is who he says he is, he wouldn't allow certain things to go on within his church. And when we lose respect for God because of his followers' actions, we begin to not fear God. How many of you view God through his followers? It's hard not to sometimes, isn't it? And I know I have said this myself. I've heard folks out here say it. Why does God allow this to happen? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And conversely, why does God allow bad people to have what they have here on earth? It seems like there should be some punishment phase there, that something should happen. And because God doesn't do the things that we want him to do in the way that we want him to do, and we look at the people around us and say, well, this is how I would do it. I've referenced this before, the movie Bruce Almighty. You know, We would have him smite everyone. You know, my boss was mean to me today. My boss made me do this. Smite him. Boy, it's a good thing we don't have that power, isn't it? There would be a lot of smitten people around. <laughs> but we, we look at God through a lens that's, that's tainted by the people that follow him. We, first of all, need to recognize that we're all imperfect here. None of us are perfect. None of us are even near it. And we need to realize that about others as well. And give them, give them some benefit of the doubt. Give them some compassion. But we need to remember that God is still holy. God is still in control. Jesus Christ is still God himself. Jesus is still in control. Jesus is an authority over your life as a believer. And you need to remember those things and have a reverent fear for God. And I don't mean the fear that he's going to strike you down every time you commit a sin. He's told us how to take care of those things. He's told us that his son Jesus took care of that for us. Now, he doesn't want us to go on sinning necessarily. He's told us also not to keep doing that, but to refrain from it and turn away from it. But he's not looking to smite us every time we mess up. It's not that type of fear. It's a, it's a, it's a fear of how huge God is, I guess, for lack of a better word. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is everything. He is the universe. And have that kind of fear and reverence for God and not to view God through his fallible people. I like this statement here from Perry Noble. He says, I always remember that the mess of the messenger never negates the message of God. It's pretty good. The mess of the messenger never negates the message of God. How many of you have heard of Perry Noble? A few of you have. You've heard his sermons. How many of you know what happened to Perry Noble recently? Unfortunately, Perry had some sins in his life. One of them was alcoholism, and he couldn't conquer it. And his church confronted him about it and asked him to get help. He more or less said, I've got this under control, and they asked him to step down. Now, Perry, in my opinion, was one of the best speakers I've ever heard. 
He's a fantastic speaker. He was very good at, at presenting the gospel in terms that we could all understand. Do you think that because he had sin in his life that negated his message? No. God still used his message because God realized the messenger was fallible, but that the message was perfect. How about that? God can still use fallible people. Now, I'm not saying if you know that about a person, you should put them in leadership and say, oh, it doesn't matter what you do. We're going to talk about that a little more this morning, that it does matter what we do in our lives and what examples we set. But you know, everybody fouls up sometimes. It's how you handle that that makes you the person you should be. But I think that is such an important thing to us to remember. With We see regularly pastors that have failed for whatever reason. And we need to remember, you know, it, I struggle with it just, just like you guys do because some of my friends have fallen in ministry and I've seen what it's done to them personally and done to their families and, and where they're at in life. But then I think, gosh, even though he was sinning and even though God knew it, he still blessed their message. Because it was the message of God. They were preaching the truth. Now, if they're not preaching the truth, that's a whole different matter. But for those that are preaching the truth, God still blesses that message, even with a fallible messenger. Now, one of the things we are talking about here this morning is, is our lifestyle and what we try and do and in, in our, our trying to please God. And look at one of the things I wanted you to look at in, in this passage of Scripture. Let me find the verse... Uh, it talks about us being a shining light and that without complaining and arguing and that no one can criticize us. That's a pretty tall order, isn't it? That nobody can criticize you and that we're going to go about our lives as Christians and as the church and that we're not going to be complaining and backbiting and we're going to be unified, as it said in the earlier part of this passage of Scripture, and we're going to be one people with one person, uh, with one purpose of advancing the kingdom of God, and that's what we're going to be about each time we meet, each time we go to a small group, each time we go to something like chaos management, each time we serve at Widow's Harvest or Room in the Inn or we do a men's outing or a women's activity. Any of these things we do, although they may have other small purposes, the real purpose is to advance the kingdom of God and be a shining light to those around us. Okay? Some of you may not understand this. If you haven't been trained in ministry and things, maybe as you've grown up in life, your pastor didn't teach this to you. And I want to explain that a little bit this morning because I think this is so important about us being an example of those around us. Number one, if you're not a, a very good example and people can criticize you, and I'm not talking about petty criticisms over differences of opinion and those things, but if you have true character flaws in your life that you're not willing to address... That impacts your ability to share the gospel and advance the kingdom with others. It really does. If you lose your temper at work, maybe you have a foul mouth at work. Maybe you look at jokes and things on the internet you shouldn't do at work. Maybe you participate in these things. So many small things can grow to be big things when it has to do with our reputations. It has to do with our witness, as we call it, to those around us. That's a tough thing. You feel like you're under a microscope all the time when you, when you really think about how people look at you, how you're living your life, and you're supposed to be an example to somebody else, and you're thinking, gosh, I can't even be an example to myself. I'm not even a good example to my kids sometimes. You know, it's tough. But we have a power that helps us do it. Yeah, and don't laugh at your parents now. That, that, 
Man, our, our kids are sharp today. They realize we're not perfect, and we're not fooling any of them. But how do, we, how do we go about doing this? How do we use this power that's within us to show others how to live? You know, one of the things we did last night, and some of you were here and enjoyed it with me, was we did a car show here, okay? This was an event where people that like cars of all descriptions could come and hang out, talk, look at each other's cars, and just have a good time together, Okay? No ulterior motives. No, we didn't get out here and I didn't get up here and, and set a pulpit up and preach to everybody and tell me if you're, if you're not saved right now at this instant, you may die on the way home and go to hell. That's not the purpose of this. We didn't go around and, and shove Bible tracts in everybody's face and say, you need to be in church in the morning. We didn't do that. We related to our peers as friends. We came here, came together and talked. We hung out. And you know what's amazing about that? If you will do that, and if you will try and live your life as Christ has told you to do, you will start to shine in the community around you. People will start to talk to you about things about church and things about their life. We've had people come to chaos, chaos management because they started felt comfortable with talking about their lives and things. And that's what happens when you build relationships with those around you, and you're trying to be that shining light to others. God will open the door to conversations that you never thought would happen. You agree with that? Um, Tommy, you were here last night. Did you have some good conversation? Very much so. so. I had a great conversation with one of my friends, a couple of friends. They said, we'd like to check your church out. We did not even promote that as a church event last night. We didn't put presented by Journey Church in huge letters out here everywhere. We were very low-key about it. We had a few things that, that mentioned Journey Church because that wasn't the purpose. It was the purpose of us to get to know people in our community and relate to them and be examples to them. And it works. It works wonderfully. It will work every single time. And what you need to keep in mind is what I said earlier. Who are you living to impress? Who are you wanting to please? Who are you wanting to impress? I didn't do this event to impress others, although it's fun. It's fun to see how many cars we can have, how many, you know, and this is, this is funny, and, I, and this just struck me. It's just like church. It's just like church. How do we grade how good things are going in church? Numbers. How many did y'all have on Sunday morning? How many cars did y'all have on Saturday night? It's all about quantity. It's all about how many to, uh, people that race. Herman, if you were out right, how many people participated in the race? How many people were in the marathon? How many people did the, How many? How many? How many? Or how much? How many? How much? That's not the purpose of everything, guys, is to just draw a huge crowd. Now, the more crowd there is, there's the more opportunity for ministry. But those good conversations that some of us had last night wouldn't have mattered if there were five people here or 500 here. And that's not an excuse that we didn't have 500. We wouldn't know what to do if we'd had 500. But it's just being able to be that example to those people around you. Being able to be the person that Christ wants you to be. One of the things that talks about us being shining lights there, I really liked one of the things that J. Vernon McGee said that I had never been able to think about this. But being a shining light. Have you ever been out in the woods, way out away from where there's a lot of what we call light pollution, and looked up at the sky at the stars. 
You ever done that? And see how all those stories, how many there are. I mean, they're innumerable. The Bible tells us that there's, there's too many to count. But yet you can see those points of light. And J. Vernon McGee brought this out. I had never thought of this. When God is talking about us being shining lights, it's as if he is looking down on us like we look up at the stars. And he looks down and sees the darkness of the world around us and sees each one of us as a little point of light. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good example? So the next time you look up at the stars, you can think, and God's looking down on us the same way and seeing each one of those as important parts of light that he's looking down on us. I thought that was really a good thing. But we need to be shining lights in the world, and when we compare and argue, few people desire to hear our message. Our lifestyle should serve as an example to those watching us. That's what we've been talking about here is if we're arguing and complaining amongst ourselves over petty things that really doesn't matter, people aren't going to want to have any part of us. I've heard of people that they have left their churches because of church politics, because of, of silly arguments within the church. We've talked about people that have church splits over the color of the carpet in the building. Hey, we don't have that. We rent this place and we get what we get, you know. <laughs> but there are things like, you know, the argument would be whether you have a guitar on stage or drums, or whether you have an organ and piano. People look at that from the outside, and when we start arguing about that, they're like, why do I want any part of that? This is just like the rest of the world, and it's even more petty than things. There's people starving in Chattanooga, Tennessee. There's people that are homeless in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and this church is worried about what color their carpet is. And people see that, and they don't respect that, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. So we need to be those shining lights and not argue amongst ourselves. And guys, this is not a condemnation of you. I love Journey because I don't see that happening here. I honestly don't. And that is one of the reasons that Mark and I started a church to be a different type church because we've seen that in our lives. We've, we both grew up in church and we've seen what happens when things are allowed to degrade to that level of arguing over church carpet and silly things that don't advance the kingdom. And I love you guys for that. I will be honest about that because I don't see that. I don't come in here worrying about who is going to come up to me before I preach and say, do you know what so-and-so said about such and such? We don't have that here. And guys, I am proud of you for that. I think it's a wonderful testimony to how God uses us. Mark said this a couple of weeks ago, and I thought this was a great quote. He says, the gospel requires us to act differently than the world. You know, and it was kind of funny. Mark was mentioning last night, and he, he puts my notes in for him because he's the pro presenter expert. I just put them in a format I can export and give to Mark. And he said, and I like that quote you put in there. Well, I immediately thought he was talking about the quote from him. He was actually talking about Perry Noble. But I thought, yeah, Mark liked the quote because I quoted him. No, Mark actually liked Perry Noble's quote. It was so funny when I thought that. But again, that's how we think as people, isn't it? I think, well, Mark likes it because it was about him. I'd like it because it's about me. We all like things about ourselves. But I do like Mark. He's quote about this a couple of weeks ago. The gospel requires us to act differently than the world. And that's one of the things that our churches are struggling with today is seeing us different than the world. I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine last night about that very thing, about a church that was beginning to look too much like the things of the world, and they weren't set apart enough. Now, some of you that have grown up, we've, we've got people here from all over the country and everything else of all different backgrounds, and I know your experiences growing up weren't like mine, and mine were not like yours. But speaking as a 
white guy growing up in the South in a Baptist church, I can tell you some things about how I grew up and the way you were graded in church. Well, one of the things were you had to dress properly. Now, as a pastor, you needed a at least a sport coat. You should probably have a tie. You should have dress slacks on. Why? Who are you trying to impress with that? God's seen you naked. It's not going to matter. You know, it's not going to matter. You can cover up all you want. God still sees you as you. So it's not going to matter how you dress. You don't, how many of you heard the phrase dress to impress? It's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about being set apart. It's not by the way you look. Your hair length, if your hair touched your ears or you did these things, or if you had facial hair, you were trying to be worldly and be a rebel. No, I'm just lazy and don't like to shave. And Kelly can tell you, we have the infamous Scott haircut because you don't have to comb it. I'm lazy, guys. I mean, that's just the way it works. It's low maintenance. It's, it's an easy way to go through life without having to worry about those things. But there were churches as I was growing up. I had long hair. You were rebelling. And the amazing thing was this pastor, I don't think he was ever asked to speak at this particular church again. He came in. And he was talking about all the old, old-time old pastors that we all talk about. One of the ones that the Baptists really revere is Sturgeon. You ever heard of that? Now you're Spurgeon, rather. Sturgeon's the fish. <laughs> Spurgeon, yeah, we just go with it. Anyway, you look, and if you look a picture of him, guess what he looks like? He's this big, burly guy with a huge beard. Not anything that gets huge beards back here. <laughs> but he looked more like you than he did me. And they were then telling me that you were being rebellious. I'm like, well, wait a minute. And that really was a defining moment for me in life was when I started realizing this is not what it's about. My grandmother, bless her dear soul, almost had a heart attack because I wore blue jeans to a wedding one time. I'm like, really? It mattered that much? I was working and went to a friend's wedding and went back to work. I didn't have time. It's like, you should dress better. How many of you love to dress up? I know there's some of you do. Some of you guys like to dress up. How many guys like to really dress up? We've got one in the entire crowd. So ladies, I want you to take notice of that, okay? Most of us guys do not like to dress. How many of you ladies like to dress up? I think there's more ladies that do. Yeah, we've got a few ladies. They like to dress up and look elegant and look nice and things. You know, so those are all external things. And what I want you to realize is, the enemy uses those tactics to divide and conquer us. All these things I've been talking about this morning, Paul has encouraged us to be unified in what we do and to be of one purpose and one mind. And our enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the bad guy, he uses those divisions to keep us from advancing the kingdom. He uses our own petty pride, our own preferences, those sort of things, and he uses that to divide and conquer us, and to keep us constantly bickering amongst ourselves, talking about politics, talking about church splits, talking about other churches, talking about pastors, you know, all these things that that can be divisive in the world today, Satan keeps that stirred up to keep us off purpose and off course. And I just want you to think of that. That's the reason unity is so important. And it's not so you become like a cult either. It's not so that when Mark and I get up here, you just take whatever we say and that's the gospel and that's the way it is. Now, we try and make sure that we present only the gospel and only the truth. But, you know, 
I've just laid out some things here. You can go and double check your facts. Isn't it funny how many people, again, in politics today, because that's what's so dominating our news cycles, is you ever heard of fact checks? Well, so-and-so said such-and-such, and and I fact-checked that, and that's incorrect. I invite you, for anyone that speaks from this stage, to fact-check it. I want you to look, first of all, in the Scripture. If you need a study guide to help you understand the Scripture, I want you to look there. I want you to fact-check anything that comes forth from here because we want to be presenting to you the true gospel and only the gospel. We don't want you to worship me or Mark or David or anyone else that comes before you as leadership of this church, our elders. We don't want you to worship any of us. We want you to worship Christ and what he's done for you. And so just take that as kind of a fact check thing that that's one of the things you should do. But finally, Paul talks a little bit, and this is just kind of a picture of the church. Um, This is chapter two, starting at verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself, like a son with his father, and he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. This is a very personal part of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. You know, we've talked about Paul and what he's writing and why he's writing. And he's writing back to the church from prison. And one of the things I I picked up in one of the commentaries this week is, if he's going to send Timothy back, was Timothy in prison too and getting released? Or was Timothy on the outside? Kind of speculation there. We're not sure. But at any rate, Paul had great faith in Timothy that he would go back and give the message to the church at Philippi, and Paul would be encouraged by hearing how well the church was doing there. Paul really cared for this church that he had started there and cared for the people just like we care for each other here. And Timothy was was basically, Paul had mentored Timothy as his apprentice. A lot of our programs here at Journey are mentoring programs. A lot of our smile groups, a lot of the things we do here, our kids' program, it's mentoring. It's so that we that have more experience as Christians can share with those that have less experience and teach you what God has shown us. Not that we're special or, or anything like that, but just to share some of the experiences that we've learned in Scripture. And that's what Paul had done with Timothy, and he was so pleased with him. He thought of Timothy as his own spiritual son and that he was going to send him back. Now, finally, in this last part of this letter in chapter 2, it says, uh, starting at verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. So the church of Philippi sent Epaphroditus to see Paul. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. He was missing his home church. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know that you'll be glad to see him, and when I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in with the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. He had sent a gift. The church at Philippi has... Epaphroditus was their messenger. He had had brought a gift with 
with him to Rome where Paul was in prison, and he got sick on the way. And this is, this is a very funny part about this story in a way. Epaphroditus got sick. Well, how many of you have ever been sick and not wanted your family to worry about you? Have you ever been there? You had some medical emergency, something going on in your life. You didn't want, want your family worrying about you or whatever. Well, this was the way Epaphroditus was. He came and he got sick. And he was so worried that the church back in Philippi would find out he was sick, he made himself sicker. And he was worried about it. So he's in this cycle of, oh, I didn't want them to find out I was sick. They'll worry about me. And I don't want them worrying about me because I love them so much. And I want them to be happy. We can relate to that, can't we? But what I wanted you to see in these final verses here about Timothy and Epaphrodite is the church is a family. Paul thought of, of Timothy as his spiritual son. Epaphroditus thought of the church at Philippi as his family. That church thought of him as one of their family when he went away and they worried about it. And that's the way we should care for each other here. Is we should worry about each other. When we see needs, we should, we should take care of them. Uh, matter of fact, did, did we get our couch moved last week? Did somebody take care of that need somewhere? Next week. We still have a need there. Then. And that may seem small to you, but if you don't have a truck and you're not physically able to move a piece of furniture, that's a need. And we as a church, if we have someone who can meet that need, I'd like you to go see Miss Jean. Everybody knows Miss Jean. Everybody may not know Wanda and some of the other folks back here. But we've got a need for something to be moved. If you would see Miss Jean, if you could help with that, you can be a part of the family helping family. It's what it's about, folks. It's about that. Now, what are our, I want to close this morning with our overall themes. We've tried to do this each week. What are the transferable principles that Paul has been talking about? And what are the things we can use today? should be pretty straightforward this morning. One of the things I think we need to remember is reverence for God, who God is, who Jesus is, what their place is in all eternity, and have a reverent fear for them. That's a transferable principle because we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So that principle comes forward very easily. Jesus is still Jesus. God is still God. All that is still set in place. The other thing I want you to see is working together as a whole community, loving each other to forward the kingdom. That's the other transferable principle. It doesn't matter whether you were in ancient Rome or you're in modern Chattanooga, Tennessee. Those principles transfer that we still need to be a family. We need to love each other. We need to support each other. We need to work as a team to advance the gospel forward, to advance the kingdom of God so that others may come to follow Jesus Christ and know him. That's pretty... Pretty simple principles, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of detail in there, the ways to do that and to not argue and complain amongst ourselves and those sort of things. But that's Paul's principles in this chapter too. That is showing how much he loved that church that he had started and how much they loved him and loved the people working in it. Won't you guys look at that this morning? Look at those around you and think how much they, we all mean to each other and how much we love each other. And we can care for each other in terms of need, spiritual and physical needs, and just be a family here. And that's what I want to leave you with today is for us to act as one, one church, one body advancing the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for what, what your son Jesus has done for us. God, we just, we, we love you so much. And, and sometimes God, it's even hard to express how much our love for you is. But God, I just want to pray that, that this morning we remember the things that we've talked about, God, that we remember uh, what what you've commanded of us and we have a reverent fear for you god 
but that we function as community here, God, as, as one body advancing the kingdom for, for your cause. And God, we just, we just pray if there's strife in anyone's life this morning or anything there that needs to be set aside, that God, they'll, they'll do a little self-examination this morning and, and set those petty differences aside and, and, and come together to serve you. And God, if there's one here this morning that doesn't know who you are, God, we pray that they will, they will come to follow you, Lord. If they, if they need to know more, that they will ask and seek out one of us, God, so that they may follow you fully and be with you for all eternity, God. And, and know that the, the only reason that is even possible is the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. He died in our place because of our sins, our iniquities, the things that we, we do wrong, God, the things that don't please you, that, that Jesus took our place, died a, a humbling death on the cross and his humility in doing that that that's what what allows us to have life today lord he died and rose again on the third day for our sins god and our our iniquity god and we just pray that we'll remember that and that we will be able to to further your cause god and share that with others as we go forward for it's in jesus name we pray amen